You know, I, through the years, I've always been a little bit anxious about the first sermon that I preach in the meeting. But I've always found that if I preach about the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm always on a proper subject. And tonight I want to talk to you about a world without Christ. What kind of world would this world be without the wonderful influence of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, we read about the birth of Jesus in Matthew, the first chapter in the 18th verse, where it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. What a fitting way to introduce the birth of the Lord Jesus. You know, the world has all kinds of theories about the birth of Jesus, but the Bible tells it just exactly as it is. That there was a young woman by the name of Mary who was engaged to a man by the name of Joseph. But before that marriage was consummated, she was found with child. And that child was generated by the Holy Spirit himself, begotten of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. All of that in just one sentence. And that's the wonder of God's word. It would take volumes for men to write about those very things. But it is so simply told to us in the Bible. Well, of course, the greatest birth that ever happened was the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem's barn. There never was such a birth as the birth of Jesus you know, we stand in awe of any birth. We stand in awe of its process. We stand in awe of its product. It's a marvelous event. Because when a child is born into this world, there, there is a new soul that is present that will never die. That's going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. But you know, there never was such a birth as the birth of Jesus. Begotten by God, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Of course, any birth brings joy to us. I, I can testify to that, and I'm sure that there are parents and grandparents uh, in this audience tonight that can testify to the fact that it's a joyful event. But you know, the birth of Jesus Christ had the prospect of bringing joy to the entire world. And of course, the angels sing about it. You know, the birth of Jesus Christ has been celebrated down through the ages. Never has been such a birth celebrated as Jesus. But I think that one of the reasons that his birth is so celebrated is because that Jesus bent the date lines of all of the nations around his lowly cradle. Today, when we write a letter, or we lay a cornerstone, or we lay a monument, we date it back to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem's barn. You know, the atheist may deny God, he may blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ, he may try to destroy Christianity, but he not denies the very doctrine that he preaches when he dates his letter back to the birth of Jesus. Well, of course, the Bible tells us that Jesus was born in a stable, and we ordinarily think of a stable like this. 
But back in 1999, I made a trip to Israel with James Arden. And I learned then that probably Jesus was born in a cave. That they'd hollowed out the stone uh, for a cave. It was there that Jesus was born. And also the Bible tells us that he was laid in a manger. And we usually think of a manger like this. But I learned over there that probably it was something that was hewn out of stone. And I saw both of those when I was there. So we might say that the birth of Jesus was in very humble surroundings. He was the king of kings. He is the king of kings. But yet he was born in such humble surroundings. When a king is born, he's usually born in a palace with tiptoeing attendants and, of course, a, a perfumed atmosphere. But Jesus was born in a barn with the smell of animals. And he was born in Bethlehem. The Bible says it was least of all of the cities of Judea. But I want to tell you, my friends, that Jesus Christ put that little city on the map. And he made the meanest stone in Bethlehem to outrank pure gold. And so tonight I want us to talk about a world into which Jesus Christ, our Lord, had never come. You know, Jesus introduced our subject in John the 15th chapter, the 22nd verse, when he said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin." If I had not come. You know, friends, we're often taking things for granted. And we don't give proper thought to so many important things. I'm told that there are two words that come from the same root and belong to the same family. They are think and thank. We fail to think because we fail to think. We fail to give proper thought to a matter simply because that we uh, are unthankful. And we become unthankful because we don't give proper thought to the matter. You know, tonight, the beauties and the uh, glories of day are gone. And we're, enshroud we're enshrouded, as it were, with darkness. But we know that that condition is not going to last forever because at God's appointed time... The light of the new day will dawn and it'll bring with it all the new hopes, new ambitions, new opportunities. Also the seasons follow one another in dependable regularity. So the farmer can plow his land, plant his crop, reap the harvest. But do we ever just stop and give thought to the matter? Or do we just accept it as belonging to the due course of things? Well, what about Jesus? Do we take him for granted? Many of the blessings that come to us because Jesus condescended to grace this old earth with his wonderful presence. But do we really give thanks for that event? If I had not come. I'm going to discuss with you some not tonight some things that are very mundane as it were. And I'm going to discuss with you some things that are very important. Have we really taken Jesus Christ for granted? For instance, consider a world of art. 
without the influence of Christ. You know, men love beauty, and because of that disposition, the brush and the canvas has played no small place in the lives of men. And I want to tell you that Jesus our Lord has lent great things to the art of our world. Oh, I know that he never posed for any artist while he was here on this earth. We have no portrait of Jesus. And I'm really glad we don't. Because if we did, there would be people who would worship that portrait. But I want to tell you that Jesus has influenced the art of our world. Our world would be poor indeed without the art that is uh, influenced by Jesus. We wouldn't have such paintings as the feeding of the multitude, the blessing of the little children, the raising of Lazarus, the Last Supper, and Gethsemane, and of course the crown of thorns and Christ's own Calvary. These would not be if Jesus our Lord had not come. Then consider a world of music without the influence of Christ. Somebody has written these words. The echoes of the songs of the angelic host rendered on the occasion of his birth still linger in the hearts and lives of men, lend uh, hope to us, and leave our hearts full of joy, joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And we today continue to say joy or peace on earth and goodwill unto all men. But then just aside from music generally, think about one valuable contribution that Jesus has made to the music of the world. Think of a world without rock of ages. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. The old rugged cross, silent night, what a friend we have in Jesus. And on and on, the songs you sang tonight so beautifully. They would not be if Jesus Christ, our Lord, had not come. And then how different the literature of our world would be without Jesus. If the influence of Jesus should be stamped from the pages of our literature, both fiction and nonfiction would tell an entirely different story. Peace and harmony, faith and hope, patience and love. All of these would lose their effect on the pages of, a, of our literature. That quality of mercy that Shakespeare talked about would be strained indeed without the influence of the Christ. And then what about the history of our world? It would relate an entirely different story. Just think about uh, if the influence of Jesus on the Roman history should be erased, the effect of the first century church upon the Roman Empire, if that should be erased, I think that some of our history texts would become but shadows of their former selves if his influence should be erased. And then if Jesus' influence should be erased from the history of our world, We've had no sense of time or place. We speak of a certain thing happening in a certain year B.C. or a certain year A.D. And of course you know what that means before Christ and in the year of our Lord. There would be nothing before Christ. There would be nothing in the year of our Lord if Jesus had not come. And then how startlingly 
The moral standards of our world would change if his influence should be erased. Did you know that in the city of Athens, that was the center of the culture and learning of the world at one time, three out of five men were slaves. In the city of Rome, with 1,600,000 inhabitants, 900,000 of them were slaves. Before the introduction of Christianity in the Fiji Islands, a man's widow was burned on his funeral pyre. You see, Jesus has lifted woman, as it were, from beneath the foot of man and placed her at his side that she might be his companion and his co-laborer in life. Jesus has changed all of that. Before Jesus, there were no hospitals for the sick, no asylums for the insane, no playgrounds for children, no benevolent and charitable organizations. Jesus has had that influence upon our world. But then thinking more deeply, what about the world without Jesus as it has to do with brotherhood of man? You know, the brotherhood of man was not even thought of before Jesus came. The religions of that time were usually tribal or they were racial. The idea that there would be a brotherhood of men was completely unknown and of course, it had not even been thought of. They couldn't think of a, a religion that could bind together the far uh, separated races of men and make them one. That's happened in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul declared in Acts the 17th chapter, the 26th verse, that God has made one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. All men made of the same blood. It was not God's intent that there should be a separation of the races. You know, we're told in 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the 18th verse, God said, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then again, in Hebrews 2 and 11, for both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified are all of one. That's Christians. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So it's because of Jesus that we have the brotherhood of man. And we have the fatherhood of God. Of course without Jesus there could not be the Christian religion. You know Jesus is not only the author of Christianity. He's the very center and core of Christianity. Someone has said that there could be art without Raphael, there could be science without Copernicus, but there could not be Christianity without Jesus Christ. In order to become a Christian, you've got to believe in Christ. You have to obey Christ. You have to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And the apostle said it well in Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I would say, my friends, that what the old sun is to the solar system, Jesus Christ is to Christianity. He's the very center and core of our holy faith. 
And when I'm talking about Christianity, I'm talking about the church. Without Jesus, there wouldn't be the church. It would not exist. It was he who said in Matthew 16 and 18, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He fulfilled that promise on the day of Pentecost when he sent the Holy Spirit in his great manifestation and for the very first time the church was in existence and the Lord added daily to the church those that will be saved. You know in the Acts of the Apostles we read about the work and the fellowship and the worship of the church. You know, the work of the church astonished everybody that witnessed it. They accused these apostles of turning the world upside down. They said in Acts 17 and 6, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. The actual uh, fact of the matter is that the apostles and Jesus Christ found a world that was already upside down. And they just began the work of turning it right side up. Those early Christians preached their faith. They lived their faith. And they were even to die, willing to die for their faith. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ did inspire them to give themselves wholly and totally to the Lord, even their lives. And of course, when we think about the fellowship of that early church, it excited wonder in the minds of all of those that witnessed it. It was a fellowship that was founded upon the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loved the church so much that he purchased it with his own precious blood, we're told, in Acts the 20th chapter and the 28th verse. And the early church, my friends, was a church that was bound together by that kind of love. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. We read also in Romans, the fifth chapter, the eighth verse, for God demonstrates his own love toward us, that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think of a world without a love like that. And think of a world without an institution that is founded upon such love. As that. And then, of course, the Lord's day would lose its significance if Jesus our Lord had not come. You know, Byron and I pass by many, many church buildings today, and you have them almost on every corner. But if Jesus our Lord had not come, there would not be a single church building in this land or in any land. Because Jesus is the one who built the church. And there would not be the gathering of worshipers on Lord's Day to worship God in Jesus' name. They wouldn't be singing the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs like you have sung tonight. And they would not be gathering about a table such as you have here to observe the Lord's Supper on Lord's Day. And I want to tell you, my friends, as that pale loaf of bread that is emblematic of the dying body of Jesus Christ is eaten by his spiritual body. There is reenacted in the myriads of hearts the tragedy of Calvary. And that, that cup that is emblematic of the New Testament 
containing the fruit of the vine, emblematic of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as it's passed from one communicant to another, there is a love that is born that this old strife-torn world of ours did not know before Jesus our Lord came. I think there's no more inspiring scene than the disciples of Jesus gathering about a table and observing the supper in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus, uh, The apostle said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Without Jesus, all of this would not be. So today, if you rob the world of the influence of Jesus Christ, you're going to rob the world of the church. And to rob the world of the church, you rob it of all of the effect that the church has had upon the world. You know, even the atheist, while he denies God and he blasphemes Christ and he scorns the church, still he wants to live in a land that is made livable by the influence of the Lord's church. Of course, without Christ, there would not be the gospel of Christ. The Bible tells us it's God's power to salvation. The apostle said in Romans 1 and 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Without Christ, there wouldn't be the gospel, and without the gospel, there would not be the power to salvation. Deprived of the gospel, we would be deprived of all of the beneficent effects that it's had upon the human race. Lives that have been lifted from the slime pits of sin to the glorious heights of Christian living would return to their former state of degradation. Hope that has been given to thousands of erstwhile hopeless beings would turn to darkest despair if Jesus our Lord had not come and established his church. Without Jesus, there would not be the remission of sins. You know, the law with its blood of bulls and goats, could never take away sin, the Bible says. It's only through the shed blood of the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. We're told over in Hebrews 9 and 22, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we obtain our remission of sins, our forgiveness of sins. Somebody says, well, how do you contact that blood in order for us to receive the remission of our sins? Well, we contact it in his death. And we're told in Romans 6, 3, and 4, and do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Somebody illustrated it like this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Where did he shed his blood? Well, of course, he shed his blood in his death. And that's the reason that the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Because it was in baptism they were baptized in the death of Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that all have sinned 
and falls short of the glory of God. There's no person who has reached the age of accountability that can say, I've never sinned, I've never struck a wrong note, I've never done a wrong deed. We've all sinned. So without Jesus Christ, the sinner, as it were, would be trudging through this world with no hope whatsoever. But Jesus died so that you and I might have the remission of our sins. But further, the Bible tells us that Jesus gives us a perfect portrait of God. You know, man down through the ages had to ask with Zophar the Naamathite, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? But man of himself and by himself couldn't answer that question. But then Jesus came. And he gave us a full-length portrait of what God is really like. You know, one time Philip, one of the apostles, came to Jesus and he said to him, Show us the Father. And Jesus answered him something like this, Have I been with you so long, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so how can you say, Show us the Father? Since that time, my friends, we've had a proper understanding of the nature of Almighty God. But hastening on without Jesus, we wouldn't have a perfect example. Jesus, from the cradle to the grave, lived an exemplary life. And the Apostle Peter thought so much of it that he said in 1 Peter 2 and 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Jesus showed us God as he is, and he shows us as we should be. He made it so simple for us to live the kind of life that we should live. We can ask that question that has been asked over and over again. What would Jesus do? And it's easy to get the answer because we know what he would do. And then without Jesus, there would not be the assurance of immortality. You see, it was Jesus who gave us a picture of the other side of death. He, as it were, turned the canvas of life and death on its easel so that we might see uh, death from an entirely different view. And he brought life and immortality to light by the gospel. You know they had been asking. Down through the years. If a man die. Shall he live again? Well of course Jesus. Gave the answer to that. By bringing life and immortality to light. And the apostle tells us. In 2 Timothy 1 and 10. But has now been revealed. By the appearing of our savior Jesus Christ. Who has abolished death. And brought life. And immortality to light. Through the gospel. It is because of Jesus that we have a picture of what death is and of what life is beyond death. I like the words of Revelation uh, 14 and 13 where, the, where uh, the Bible gives us the assurance that we have in a Christian's death. He says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Where? In the Lord, in Christ, 
from now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. But hastening on, without Jesus, there would not be the home prepared. While Jesus was here on this earth, he saw his troubled disciples, and he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Then he told them about that home that is prepared. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Don't we like to think about heaven? We like love to dwell upon those descriptions that convey to our minds as well as, as, the, as language can, the beauties and the glories of heaven. But it's not possible, is it? Even with the description that we have in the Word of God, we don't know fully what heaven is really going to be. It is the place that is so beautiful that man with his language can never describe it. And finally, my friends, Without Jesus Christ, there would not be this universal invitation. Jesus once made a statement that not only reached into time, but also into eternity itself. When he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says so much in those words. First, he gives us that universal invitation. Come unto me. He shows us his compassion toward us, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He gives us a promise. I will give you rest, rest of mind, peace of, of soul, and of course an eternal rest in the world which is to come. And he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There is a responsibility that we have unto our Lord. But then he shows his nature. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And then he gives us a great contrast. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I think it has to do with the fact that we are yoked with Jesus. And because we are yoked with him, yes, the life is much easier. We're told in Revelation, the third chapter in the 20th verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him dine with him and he with me and then in revelation 22 17 and the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears say come let him who thirst come whosoever desires let him take the water of life freely that's the invitation of our lord and that also places a certain responsibility upon us and so we return to our text that said if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have had no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. In other words, the Lord Jesus says, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there has come a responsibility. 
with the opportunity of being saved, there comes the, op uh, there comes the responsibility of saving yourselves from this untoward generation. With the opportunity of entering into the kingdom of God, there comes the responsibility of doing so, entering into his kingdom. Yes, there's a responsibility in Christianity. And that responsibility was imposed upon us by the coming of Christ. But we would not do away with that responsibility for all the wealth in all the world. Because we tried to conceive of a world into which Jesus our Lord had not come. And without him we would not have these wonderful blessings and benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we're thankful he came and we're glad to meet our responsibility. One time it is said that there was a little boy who lived deep in the backwoods of the Ozarks and he loved an opportunity on Saturdays of going with his father to town. But one day that father refused him that privilege and the boy cried. But that thoughtful father said something like this. He said, son, I may be away in town until after dark. You've got to stay here and take my place and care for your mother. Well, immediately that little boy became a little man, throwing out his chest and standing tall. He assumed with deeper pleasure the responsibility that had been imposed upon him. And so it is with us. Yes, we have a responsibility to our Lord to live the kind of life that he lived. But we would not do away with that responsibility for all the wealth in the world. Because we have studied about the kind of life that we would have without him. So I ask you tonight, are you glad that Jesus came? I know you are. You wouldn't be here tonight if you were not glad that Jesus came. Are you now really willing to take that responsibility upon yourself? I don't know the minds of those that are present in this assembly. There may be someone who's never giving his life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's never become a Christian. Well, it's so easy to become a Christian. You just believe in the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins, whatever those sins may be. Confess. The sweet name of Jesus, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then you're baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So it's imperative that we obey that simple plane of salvation. No hieroglyphics to decipher, no puzzle to solve. It's just so simple to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized. And if you have done that, and you strayed away from you, Lord, what better time than the very first night of this meeting to come forward and make your right or make your wrongs right before the Lord. While we stand, while we sing.